Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. The Asheville area is well known these days for its eclectic lifestyle and high scores at the retirement destination. Just like other parts of the state, however, manufacturing remains an important industry for local economic development. Today we're clocking in with a voice of manufacturing in North Carolina, just south of Asheville in the city of Fletcher. Just across the I-26 highway from the Asheville Regional Airport, we find another one of our state's smaller manufacturers of high-technology products. Equilibar is a global supplier of patented fluid control valves. Founded in 2007 by mechanical engineer and inventor Jeff Jennings, Equilibar has quickly grown into a design, development, and a production staple within the industry. We're pleased to have Jeff join us today to talk about Equilibar and the important solutions that the company provides. Jeff, thank you for taking the time for speaking with us. How are you doing today? Just great. Very glad to be here, Phil. Great. We know that not all great ideas by smart people make their way into a viable market in the U.S., much less globally. So obviously you were able to create and patent uh, in order to launch a business that serves an important need. So what? tell me a little bit about Equilibar and the products they make. Well, as you mentioned, uh, Equilibar uh, is in the business of controlling fluids for mostly the chemical industry and the research industry. Uh, we are known for a certain type of back pressure regulator. We came up with a different way of designing a back pressure regulator that is a little simpler, only has one moving part. That has certain advantages for people, depending on whether they're trying to do computer automation, whether they need a little more precision, whether they have more demanding processes, severe temperatures, corrosion. So we're basically in the business of listening to customers' problems, designing or configuring one of our valves to meet their actual requirement. Well, you know, it's uh, how do you turn a patent into a business? I mean, when we speak to inventors, I've noticed there's often a story about a garage or basement. So how much time did you spend in developing your invention into something that actually sold to somebody? Well, there, there's a, an interesting story. It is a basement story. Uh, I should start by saying that I, I started as a, an engineer with the DuPont company. I'm a mechanical engineer from Clemson in the mid-80s, but I had a lot of experience at four different uh, DuPont sites, and the last one being the Brevard, North Carolina X-ray film plant. At that plant, I was fortunate enough to be presented with a lot of fluid control challenges, flow control, pressure control, and so a lot of the, the work that I did later was an outgrowth of the challenges that I was exposed to there at DuPont. The DuPont State Forest is, is uh, now sited on the, on the former site of the DuPont X-ray film plant in Brevard. In 2002, the, all the jobs ended there and the plant was bulldozed. 
I can go on. Yeah, with the story. how did you get how into you, the basement? Yeah, so <laughs> great. So in 2002, I did a couple things. I took a part-time job as a, a development engineer for a local industry with about a mile from here in Nashville. But I also did a part-time job building a, a lab in my basement to continue exploring fluid controls and continuing with an idea I had for a different way to control back pressure. Building this lab, I was also looking at consulting, but that, that didn't work out. So it took a few years, but I happened to have skills in website development back in the early aughts uh, years. You needed to know HTML and how to edit uh, photos in Photoshop to be good at getting your message across. And I happened to have worked with volunteer websites. And so as soon as I had something that I wanted to uh, sell to the world, I would make, I would put a few paragraphs on my website with a picture. And it was really almost a miracle, but with Google search, a customer in Switzerland found a few sentences that I wrote and said, this is, this is what I need to solve this problem. And so that was just the beginning of, of customers actually finding me through Google search and slowly building a business around the problems that, that customers brought me. Oh my. Jeff, you did mention uh, how the DuPont, the forest was named uh, by DuPont. And yes. yeah, talk a little bit more about your involvement in that development of that park. Well, I was an engineer there. There was actually a long uh, multi-tiered history to the state forest. The first part of the DuPont State Forest was actually established in 1996. And I, I was one of the engineers that were Working at the plant also was a pr president of a local environmental nonprofit. So, so I was in a good place to try to connect some people. I, I helped make some of the early connections between the local uh, land conservancy, the National Conservation Fund, and the state of North Carolina. And so I, I was kind of there to help make the initial connections that helped get the DuPont State Forest started in 1996. And most people really didn't hear about the DuPont State Forest until 2000 when there was a controversial campaign where a private developer was taking a different track, the track that had all the big waterfalls on them. And so there was, there was just a lot of news stories around how the, the governor and the council of state came to take through condemnation, the waterfalls that the public loves dearly. And so I, I was also around to be very involved in the acquisition of the, what we now know as the main waterfalls at DuPont State Recreational Forest. Do you camp? Are you a camper? Well, actually, I'm not much of a camper, and there is no camping in DuPont State Recreational right. Forest, but I am I am still sit on the state-appointed advisory committee, so I am on the, the committee that advises the forest supervisor of DuPont, and camping is not one of the things that we allow there, but, you know, if I'm camping, I'll probably be out on the Art Loeb Trail or out on one of the Pisgah National Forest trails up around Shining Rock or some area or the Davidson River or the Mills River. I mean, this is Actually, wonderful. what a wonderful area this is, isn't it? Well, we have, we have beautiful mountains in every direction from this building. You can go recreate in every direction. So, Jeff, most economists understand the value of manufacturing and the great jobs it provides. And I'm sure this area is grateful to have you here. What decided you to take on a manufacturing business rather than to sell your idea to investors? Was that ever an option? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I always wanted to sell this idea if I ever if I ever was given a fair price for it. But I, I actually did show the idea around in the first few years, and, and people were very interested in it. Clearly, it had performance advantages that weren't seen 
exactly before. Uh, but the problem was they would always say, well, that's really cool. Just send me a list of, of customers and, and what applications this can sell into, and I'll make you an offer. And I said, well, I don't know what this valve is useful for. I only have a few people who've found my website to date. But every year we add more and more information about our technology. We now have over 100 pages on the internet about our technology. And the number of people who find us on Google search increases every year. We now have you know, well over 10,000 applications. But, but at no point you know, was anyone willing to ever offer money for an idea. People don't pay money for ideas. They pay money for customers. So in the introduction, Jeff, we spoke about Equilibar as a global solutions company. What type of markets do you serve overseas rather than in the U.S.? Is it different? Well, we are very much overseas. As I mentioned, the very first customer uh, was in Switzerland, but uh, about 40% of our sales are overseas. We largely do sell about the same products overseas as we do here in the U.S. We're very well known in Northern Europe for our, our research back pressure regulators that go into chemical research, uh, but we're also very strong here in North America with that. So it, it used to be that our larger valves would stay mostly in North America and the smaller valves would go more to Europe. But lately, we're shipping some of our largest valves to China as our number one customer in 2019. So every year it switches a little bit, but the domestic and international markets are mostly similar to each other. Yeah, so I think when we met earlier, you talked a little bit about some of the technologies that are being explored overseas rather than here, like fuel cell technology. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, how you see that happening more overseas than maybe here in the U.S.? Yes, um, I, we did mention that, um, you know, whereas most of our industries are, are similar, U.S. and international, that a lot of our clients are in new energy development, clean energy development. And so more of the fuel cell work is overseas, whether that be, you know, in Canada, Europe, or China, Asia. You know, as it turns out, you know, our federal government isn't a big proponent of new energy right now because the administration doesn't really believe in climate change. So we are doing most of our exporting for our uh, clean energy products overseas for that reason. Hmm, that's interesting. So uh, looking at some of your products, they they are they really shiny and seem to be so precise. I mean, so do you do all of that precision work here? And how important is your local supply chain to getting your products done? Great question. Um, from the very beginning, we always used local machine shops to produce all of our uh, shiny stainless parts and. So from, from the very first day in 2004, uh, starting in the basement, I was fortunate enough to have a shop that's within a quarter of a mile of this building here that really had the skills to focus and the willingness to focus on the challenges that I had, the small volumes. Uh, they really invested in me. The French Broad River Valley here has always been an area where the tool and die for mold, injection molding, that business kind of died and went over to Asia sometime about the same time that Aquilabar was getting started. So we found ourselves fortunate enough to have uh, a large number of mostly family-owned shops here in the French Broad River Valley that have high-precision machining capabilities, and we've really used that. Even to today, 100% of all of our valves are made uh, by external suppliers, and most of them uh, local family shops. 
Yeah, and in that same light, you know, you know, high-tech manufacturing requires kind of some high-tech brain power. And I know you introduced me to a, quite a few design engineers and technology specialists here. And how do you find those people around here and, uh, and try to maintain your leading-edge work here? Is it, is it difficult to find smart people like that in Asheville? Well, fortunately, no, it's not. Uh-huh. Um, it's, a, it's a good question. You know, a lot of people would think, why, why would a process industries company stay in Asheville? You know, I have a, several responses to that. First of all, UPS picks up here every day, just the same as it does in Charlotte or Raleigh. The internet, uh, we have our fiber optic cable gives us the high speed connection to the world. So the world is shrinking. And so we can, we can bring good technology jobs to Asheville. And, and the advantage that we have here in Asheville that in some other areas that they do not have is that there's a lot of people who want to live where their hobbies are. I've got engineers graduating from North Carolina State and many other regional universities, and they're, they're mountain bikers, rock climbers, kayakers, hunters, fishermen. They have a dream to, to be able to go to work and, and to recreate in the same location. And so the number of people who are trying to move to Asheville uh, is a pretty considerable amount, as you probably experienced on the traffic problems getting here today. Uh, so what we're finding is that if we, we look for people who want to be here, we look for people who are already here, who either grew up here, moved here, or want to move here. And the retention can be really excellent if you give someone a good job in a place where they want to live. Yeah. So, Jeff, tell me a bit about the growth here. You seem to be kind of getting a little big for this building here. And so obviously your business is continuing to grow. What do you see as kind of the future direction of some of the things that you're uh, moving into? Is there a brand new patented designs you're coming up with? Couple, there's a couple questions in there. I'm not sure where to go with that. Um, first of all, you know, we have grown to about 28 employees, and I'm, I'm proud to say that 10 of the 28 are, are engineers. Uh, so we're very much an engineering company. We, we invest greatly in new product development, new application development. We're fi- filing patents of one sort or another, provisional typically, uh, as fast as we can. Uh, develop ideas. You know, every, every company need, needs to be working on patents, but also patents aren't aren't the main thing. Focus is the main thing. Uh, but we we are constantly trying to move fast and move faster than our competition. Whether that's filing patents or working or just working to to move faster to address customer needs. About was there a question about the building? Yeah, so, that's right. I mean, you're. I think when we toured through there, you're talking about uh, how you used to share this, and now yeah. you don't. Well, that's right. In, in 2007, we came into this building kind of as an incubator, where there was another business, Materials Innovation Technologies, that they kind of served as an incubator, and and actually were 50/50 partners with me uh, as a licensee for my technology in the early years. But that company fortunately has grown and moved uh, to South Carolina and is a, a global leader in recycled carbon fiber. And so that that process, we grew and they shrank in this location and we were able to take over the building. So we have 10,000 square feet here and our 28 employees are just about to fill that up. Parking is the first overflow problem. And so we're working right now to get temporary and permanent parking expansion. The building has, has got a lot of other construction projects so that we can get more capacity out of the existing building. So how do you feel about where you're going to be? I mean, you know, you're, the other company grew and moved to South Carolina. Are you, are you committed to the Asheville area? Oh, yeah. We're, we're definitely not interested to move to a, a, lower, a lower cost of living area. Asheville is pretty pricey, but uh, we're really a company proud of our talent. 
people want to live here in Asheville the way we do, then we're going to make uh, make a go of it. We we've had excellent excellent track record of of recruiting engineers. Uh, in fact, we we put out a job last last summer for a new process development engineer, and we got so many strong candidates that we hired two uh, because we we actually said we had six A plus candidates. Uh, North Carolina State has been um, really strong for us. I, I think we've got four of our engineers are Wolfpack. Uh, we find a lot of talented people, not just the engineers, but also in the production area. We're a little more likely to hire artists and musicians and, and cross-train them into learning how to be technicians, uh, crafts, craftsmen and technicians of our of our vows, we found that to be a real, a real successful technique for excellence. All right, well, good. I, I'm, I'm certain that you probably get some support from your local community college. Do they have programs that help you find talent as well? So we, we have worked uh, pretty closely with uh, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension and Chris McGraw, and uh, also with the North Carolina through North Carolina's program through the Small Business Technology Development Center. We we actually haven't done quite as much with the community colleges as as uh, we'd like to. Uh, we are taking the early steps, you know, with the UNCA mechatronics program. We actually are aware that we have a lot of synergy with the mechatronics program, but we haven't yet gotten very much going. I think we do have one of their students working on one of our advanced research investigations kind of as a moonlighting project but we we actually haven't done as much with the community colleges so so i just wanted to add this one i mean as you grow do you see that you might tr- uh, transform kind of your model or will you always kind of contract out things for machining or do you may, may do you see a time where you might have your own machining center <laughs> that's a that's a very timely question you know we like to joke that we're one of the only valve companies that don't make our own chips or our stainless steel machining we we have aggressively expanded the, the relationships with the local shops we've helped them expand we're still backlogged uh, and so we are we are definitely exploring the possibility of of having some internal machining to complement the external machining. But everything is still a little bit up in the air about how we're going to be doing that as we grow. And so I note from an article recently that you had a project involved with NASA. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we were pleased when the local media asked us. They found us on a list of uh, contractors that were supplying equipment to the Artemis, NASA's uh, Mars rover moon and mars program i believe it is the artemis program actually we that wasn't one that we were too familiar with we actually contacted uh you know lockheed contractors at nasa and they were happy to fill us in and and make public that our vacuum regulators i should have mentioned that our back pressure regulators also control vacuum about 15 percent of the time the application is in vacuum the NASA is using our vacuum regulators to cure the cement that holds the heat shield tile in place. And as we know, the gluing of the heat shield tiles is a pretty important process. And so uh, we're proud to be a part of that program that actually, you know, we have probably about 12 different NASA applications accumulated over the years uh, for di- different places. So we're, you know, we're probably at about 180 universities and technology institutes around the world, most of the federal science and physics and nuclear labs and NASA and some other aerospace applications, just a little bit of everything, just thousands of small applications really make up a lot of our business. So though, uh, for those research jobs like that and government jobs, I mean, how do you discover those things and how do you get connected generally? Well, it does all go back to Google. You know, most companies have a proactive sales force. We, we are 
it sounds bad, but we are reactive because we have we have customers that find us through Google, and we just find that the world is too big of place. I, I don't have enough shoe leather to be able to knock on enough doors to find find the people who need my technology. But every morning in our inbox, there may be 15 or 20 inquiries and maybe 10 or 12 new inquiries every day. And half of them are overseas uh, saying, I've got this problem. Can you help me? And about half of them, we have to say, I'm sorry. You know, maybe if you'd read the website a little closer, you would have noticed that we can't help you. But for the other half, you know, we're, we're quoting them products. Wow. Equilibar, the great problem solver. <laughs> a niche. It's a niche industry. It's nice to have a niche. Well, it sounds like great opportunities around here to not for just for Equilibar's growth, but for others who may support you in your supply chain. So again, we're excited for your growth and your uh, business. And, and we're also excited for Asheville that they have a high technology company like yours around here that is looking like it's a global supplier. We appreciate your time talking with us today, and we hope you, your business continues to have success. Thank you very much, Phil. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.